0: Hey, what's going on, people? It's Last Name Good on the Straight Out the Den podcast. I'd like, to welcome you to another episode this week. Uh, we had a very cool conversation with the homie A Levy uh, out of New Orleans. But uh, before we get into that, I wanted to give you guys a few dates, man. Paid in America tour it continues uh, August twenty third. We're gonna be in Atlanta at five two nine. August twenty seventh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana at Uppercuts. Uh, September 15th, we're in Kansas City, City, Missouri. Uh, That location is to be determined. Um, Then uh, September 17th, we're in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Hoosier Dome. Uh, September 21st, Lafayette, Louisiana at the Office Bar. And September 23rd, we're in New Orleans at the Hut Studio. So I just wanted to get those out. I'm going to make sure I keep giving you guys these dates uh, more often, kind of, keep you afloat of what's going on with the paid American tour what's going on with last name good um and everything else uh so look I told you guys man we have a, a great conversation ahead with a levy man we talked a lot of things him uh you know being in new orleans starting off like as a, being a police a police officer uh for a, a day or two uh very interesting story man. Ne- nevertheless but um before we get into that, I did want to let you guys know you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, we've been seeing the comments greatly appreciate and we want to get more in and the more we get in, the more we can engage with you guys and talk, talk to you a little bit more. But if you're listening on SoundCloud, that's cool. You know, just drop a comment there on SoundCloud. We get all of the comments there, uh, even on Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, all of those places. Drop a comment and... um You know, engage with us, man. You can always text me direct at 678-872-2227. That's 678-872-2227. We'll hit you right back. If you call and leave a message, I'll be sure to hit you back as soon as I can. Um, Shop straight out the den. Shop straight out the den. I told you guys before, I'm I'm pulling the uh, shop soon, very soon. Uh we're just getting rid of the last couple of pieces of merch um out the way. And once that do, we're we're gonna start over and revamp that site completely and give you guys some new merch. But I want to get rid of the old merch first. So uh go and shop straight out the den slash shop. Uh there's some things there for sale. We're gonna have some hats for sale, uh snapbacks, some dad hats. Um it's about to get, you know, it's almost hoodie season. So uh go ahead and cop that straight out the den hoodie. While well, you have a chance while it's on sale because it's going to go up by the time uh, fall gets here and we have a new design. So other than that, that's it. That's all the announcements for this week, man. I appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, we do have some pretty cool things in store. The next couple of podcasts coming up. Super cool. I already got them recorded. I could tell you who the guests are, but mm, no, you guys got to wait to see. Um, is there anything I'm missing? Um, I don't know. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. Cool. Check out the episode where they leave me. Hey, what's going on, people? It's Last Name Good yeah. on the Straight the Damn podcast. Um, so this week, you know, we, we've been – you guys have been on the road with us with the Paid in America Tour. We've been showing you some behind the scenes of what's been going on there. Uh, but this week, you know, we have a, a special guest, and he's actually a special guest that brought us down to New Orleans um, to perform at the Paid America tour. We were actually at the High ho Lounge. I think that's the name of the venue, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, it brought us down, and that's actually the second time that we've been to New Orleans, courtesy uh, of the homie here, man. So help me welcome A. Levy to the show, man. How you doing, bro? Oh, man, I'm doing
1: fantastic, man. Doing fantastic
0: cool it, cool it, man. So like I said, man, we here, we literally talk about anything you want to. Uh, I do have a a point of reference that I kind of want to start at, uh, because that's the way that I I met you, uh, was, you know, touring, you know what I mean? And and being one of the the guys that actually brought us down, uh, to new Orleans. I remember the first time that, This was for the Daylight Savings Tour last year. Um, You know, you brought us down and and we came down and it was at your spot at the Hut Studios. And, you know, we had a great time. New Orleans, cool vibes, everything uh, there in the city. And so, you know, I kind of want to start there with you, man. Like, what was the the, the genesis of you bringing artists to the city? Like, how did you get to that point and what prompted you to start um, opening up those type of opportunities?
1: Uh, pretty much. with The the whole event writer's block that I threw that literally started out of necessity for my, myself and that's, that's pretty much what everybody else. Most people, they, they start off as as a rapper, uh, a producer of some sort of that nature. Then that evolves to another thing where them becoming a producer if they were just a rapper out of necessity for that or them becoming an engineer because they need the studio. And that, that's pretty much my evolution with everything more or less. It's out of necessity for me that I have. So and this started off as writer's block, and I needed, I had a need to have a show every month because sometimes it's a little difficult depending on other uh, other promoters to hook you up with shows and all that stuff. You don't want to be at the mercy of anybody, so it was that thing. And I had a studio full of other people that needed it, needed the same service, so it was just a, a natural progression in a lot of ways, so we did that. Uh, then it got to a point where I needed to tour a lot.
0: Right, right. And that's...
1: Uh, helped out other artists. I had a bunch of people that I was meeting uh, out in Atlanta during A3C, and out in Austin, Texas, during uh, South by Southwest, and et cetera, et cetera. Wherever I was going, I was meeting all these artists, so it just made perfect sense to bring them all down and and rock out like that. Everybody needs the serv- same services. Everybody looking to branch out into different markets, so I just was feeling the void.
0: Right, right. No, it's it's genius, man. Because you 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 had a product. That uh, where you have a product that people need, like, as we all know, like, okay, New Orleans and Atlanta are both, you know, good markets when it comes to music. But the one thing that people may miss is that, like, you know, the artists that are in those respective cities are trying their best to get out of them. You know what I mean? Like, if I've been in Atlanta, no one wants to stay performing in Atlanta. You want to get out and go to other places. And the same thing can be said about New Orleans. And so, creating a a platform that allows that you know was genius in itself um i want to kind of go a little bit further back in the story you know when you said that you you were you know out of necessity you became an engineer and and all of those things you you are an engineer in this city and, and this is something that you've been doing for how long now engineering
1: Ooh, uh originally i, I well well first started really really rapping maybe in 2000, 2001, when I got out of the phase of, of being afraid to, to get out there and rap and having people hear my raps, I really started rapping for real uh some point after high school. So it was like 2001, uh, 2002, I started getting in studio situations. And at this point, I'm like 19 years old, so money is real tight. And I wasn't really all that satisfied with the, the quality that I was getting, that I was paying very little for in the first place. And this is like I guess in the in the infancy of uh of home recording studios and stuff. So like uh the dude I was working with, he was using all these bootleg programs. He was getting off of Napster and all that stuff. <laughs> A lot of people was using Napster for and line wire for music. We was using it to get Cool Letter Pro and uh Right, right. And Magic and all these little software that you can go get from Circuit City. We were doing that type of thing. And everybody was amateurs at that point. We were just trying to figure it out. So I was like, man, I do this myself, honestly, because it's not that good. And Twenty dollars, nah, an it wasn't that much, but you don't really know what you're doing. You really gotta sit back and hone your skills in a, a more comfortable situation. So that's what started, and then that, that led me to record a, a bunch of other artists, man. I was literally recording in the garage outside after uh, doing security at the airport, man. I was a security guard. I would drive, fly, not fly, or you know, drive. I used to hop on the bus, literally, it'd take two hours to get from the airport, it was like 45 minutes from my house and we get in the studio, which was my garage, we had a little commodity cans and stuff, i take my little Dell computer from inside hmm. and put it outside on top of the, uh, the cans and on top of the washing machine and dryer, and we didn't have no desk, we was just rocking out, because I was I couldn't have a lot of niggas inside my mama house at that point
0: Right, that right, right,
1: right. <laughs> We'd looking up at 2 in the morning we just getting it in, they called call the police on us and stuff, it, 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 was, it was crazy, man yeah, I, I pretty much
0: started. That's I mean I, I, I'm I'm loving the story, man. Just like hearing that, you you know you started in mom's house and it was like you know you outside and, and you still was aware like okay you know because with a studio, uh, I mean I don't know, man. It just people like to be in the studio for for whatever reason. You know, and it's always a lot of people who don't have anything to do with the creative process that that likes to be in the studio. And and so I understand that completely when it's like mom saying like, you, you ain't trying to have all those people there at the house like that, you know, and, and trying to, to, to do something that no one else is, is really doing. Um, do you remember like early on in those years and really up to now, is there any artists that kind of stand out that you kind of took under your your wings to engineer that we, you know, that we may know?
1: Uh well I will start even earlier than that. It actually started the opposite way around, man. Uh, I'm okay. not new don't know if you guys are familiar with uh an artist named Trey Eight from New Orleans. But uh, I was working with them guys and their engineer and you know, I just had I, I guess I was the, the the liaison between the street side and, and the party guys or whatever. That's always sort of in my role, so they they took a liking to me and helped me out and showed me a few things and I was uh working with Mr. Marcelo doing the tough guy times uh when it was first time in No Limit. met those guys and it just things were moving fast I run across Currency we'd be playing uh Madden and stuff <laughs>
0: hmm. uh,
1: at the little apartment and this was like way back when like Currency might be a year or two older than me so at that point like i was still rapping but not really super duper right. confident and I was you know still to myself. And uh, so I started doing that, and uh, I did a few shows with, uh, with UNLV. I don't know if you're familiar with them from right, New Orleans. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, early, yeah, early cash money. And, like,
1: one of my, my first big shows that was supposed to happen uh, was, like, UNLV, and it was opening up for, for Master P. This was maybe, like I'd say this was maybe 2003 or so. It was in okay. Biloxi, and, and uh, Master P did some weird shit. He always been pretty weird, but uh, he more or less, he rode around the club in, like, a limo. And then I guess he didn't like the crowd or something like that. Then he pulled off. So it was just like me, you, and LV, and a few other people. And they had a big-ass crowd. Like I said, you No know, Limit was still pretty probably big around that point. That right, was when right. he got like 50 more. We being chopper and all that stuff. And I think they had currency too. I like the 504 boys, days. So he, he flaked out. And we just rocked out like that. But uh, that answer to answer the, the original question, that's a lot of people that helped me out. And Then from there, uh, some of the artists that you know now uh the like, uh, like I don't know if you got familiar with the homie Alfred Banks. He's from New Orleans. I oh, yeah. a lot of
0: definitely. Shout out to Alfred Banks, man. Uh, formerly known as Lyrics, the lyricist.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Don Flamingo. Uh, we I hear some music over there. He signed with uh with Rock Nation right now.
0: Okay. He's one
1: of the Jay Z artists. He's from New Orleans. Uh, even beyond that, we did a lot of work with uh with Bootsy. I even uh, recorded his daughter while he was locked up. They used to, like, do a lot of ghostwriting for him. I guess he had to get that energy out of his system while he was locked up, but they were sending his daughter over there by me and Will decipher all of the stuff that he had written for her. and I want to say she was, like, 10 at this point. His gotcha. uh, daughter's name was Aviana. She come over there with his mom or whatever. He used to write that stuff. She had a song with, uh, I want to say we yeah, got major, T.I.'s son. They had a little collab with together, so we worked on that. uh BBC... The actual British Broadcasting Network mm-hmm. worked with them on, on a lot of stuff. It's, it's, it's a slew of people, man, but we just stay busy.
0: No, no, that's dope, man. It's definitely dope being able to hone your craft in, and, you know, help some people out in the process. I know for you, um, so when when did the journey really start rapping? Well, like t- you When you said, like, 2003, was it? Is that what you said, 2003? Yeah,
1: like 2003. Uh, unlike uh, Atlanta and a lot of other big we didn't really have – a lot of, I guess space and a lot of opportunities to get out there and do open mics because this is a, a real bounce music heavy scene Right. and it still is and it's, uh, it's re- they really focus on that and they focus on live brass band music or whatever so they don't really cater to, to real hip hop and there was only a few places you could really go it was uh, Take 4 which was predominantly a bounce record label and No Limit they were not in New Orleans whatsoever at that point they were focused in Band roads That's that's still where they were focused at for the most part. Everybody that's affiliated with No Limit, they all live in Band road still to this day for the most part. And cash money, they never really were here, here either. So it's like y'all had the high Atlanta and a lot of the people had the advantage where they could like run down the, in Buckhead or the Linux and they run across somebody.
0: Right. right. Like they
1: rep the city, but we would never see these people. And it was never really any open mic opportunity. So and it, Really, into Add to Katrina, that was my first time really seeing a, a true hip-hop scene. It's something pretty new, honestly. It's maybe 10 years old. And like I say, it was like me, the show, well, formerly the show, Don Flamingo, 3 d Nazi, t We had another guy, Bionic Brown, True Universal, Alfred Banks, Lyric Hill. It was, uh, it was a, a prospering and up-and-coming scene, maybe in 2006, 2007. That's really when a lot of stuff started popping off. Right, right. But a lot of people don't know it uh after that it was like 2003 2004 i was trying to figure out what the hell i was gonna do with my personal life at that point so uh i was actually a member of the new orleans police department for a whopping one week
0: you said <laughs> for like, one man, week man, <laughs> one week all right dude, yeah, you gotta, you gotta explain office. that you gotta explain that story like how are you a new orleans police officer for one week
1: uh i went through the whole the entire academy honestly man I, I passed everything i needed to pass and I never wanted to do it. I was uh, going to school for criminal justice. First, I went for psychology, and mm-hmm. then I found out with well, a psychology major, you could do absolutely nothing in the whole entire world. <laughs> so, uh, that, that that evolved into a, a criminal justice major. Then I was like, man, I'm flunking out. I'd rather go to, high, to these high schools and mess with these high school females than actually be at college. So, let me just fast track this. All I could really do with a criminal justice degree is join the NOPD or do something in the criminal justice system. So one of my homeboys, it was always, literally always his dream to become a New Orleans police officer for some odd, crazy reason. I don't know why. i
0: right. was so like, shit, I'm
1: not doing nothing else with my life. So I went ahead and, and went with him to take the test. He failed that bitch like three times. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just standing by. You know, he hyped me up. He sold me on the whole. We could be uh, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, man. It's going to be cool. We're going to do this together. And this right. Dope. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds dope. Why not? I ain't doing nothing else. And, uh. I made it through, and I was more or less waiting on him to pass the test, and that never really happened or whatever. And, you know, he went a different direction with his career, and I was stuck in there, and I didn't have no other ideas of what to do. But I was 20 at that point. I was When I was in the academy, I was even still too young to actually hit the street. So gotcha. I had to wait until my birthday until I made 21. And in the midst of all of that, Hurricane Katrina happened. Hmm. <laughs> and I moved to Atlanta for a year and a half, so that's that's pretty much the, the gist of that when it was something I never really, really was going to do. I was trying to find my exit strategy the whole time I was in there because it right. just wasn't for me. Gotcha. It wasn't for me. I always wanted to do my music.
0: So you, you said earlier man in the conversation that like Hurricane Katrina really affected the hip hop scene in New Orleans in, in like a positive way. And I've I've never yeah. I've never heard that. You know what I mean? Like I, you know how things are the perception from the outside looking <laughs> in. You know, us from Atlanta always thought like, man, you know, shoot, New Orleans, y'all on top. Y'all got cash money. Y'all got uh, no limit. You know what I mean? Like there were runs, a long period of, of time for runs. But, you know, kind of hearing what you're saying, like those crews didn't really operate out of New Orleans. They from New Orleans, but they didn't operate out of New Orleans. So you guys didn't really get a chance to have those opportunities, real. you know, kind of take advantage of those opportunities with them being from New Orleans like that. So how how really did Hurricane Katrina you know something as as huge as that and we know the impact that it had on the city negatively but how did it positively affect hip-hop
1: well for for us for a lot of cats like me for example i, I lived i guess in maybe the the equivalent of maybe alpharetta or lawrenceville or something like that for you guys right that's not really the the, the city is nowhere near as big as atlanta but I guess to put it in perspective, that would be the the more upper class or semi-upper class, less hood areas or whatever. And all our artists predominantly come from, from the projects from Uptown. They come from the Caliode, the Magnolia, et cetera, et cetera. And they all come from a, a one general area, and they all run together. So there was no artists from Gentilly, really, that was doing anything. There was no artists from New Orleans East that was doing anything. So if you weren't affiliated with anybody from those areas, like uh, like currency, for example, he was affiliated with a couple of keep people from Magnolia from the Magnolia project and stuff like that. So that was his way in. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have a way in if you weren't affiliated with anybody. You wasn't even really gonna get on, regardless, because it's, it's just the way things were at that time. Like Master P, he had all his people in Baton Rouge, but he was operating out of California for the most part, and. You know, obviously, cash money. They they moved on to Miami and all that good stuff. So they keep an ear to the streets, based on the people that were still there. They were touching people, but if you, they weren't going out to like no uh, Apache cafe or nothing like that. Right, for your body.
0: right, right, right.
1: They never had that type of deal. They weren't never looking for no artists. It was just the people that was around them. They they uh they had bodyguards rapping and things of that nature. Uh, you know, the, the muscle or the D boys that they kept around. That was pretty much what they they record label was made up of or whatever helped them out. But uh, after Katrina, though, I said the the scene took off, and it may be partially because we had so many people that branched out and got to get game from other areas, and then they all came back. And I think that was a big influence, just just getting game from a lot of different markets. The bulk of the city went to Houston, so that helped out a lot of people and had a few others went to Atlanta. And it just worked out for, right. for the better, I, I believe.
0: Right, right. I got you, man. So let me ask you this bro like when when at what point did you realize that like okay this music is not just a thing anymore it's it's actually real at at what point in your life um did that happen and and what around that time kind of led to you knowing that like okay i really can do this professionally
1: uh that's a tough one man uh Locally, like I said, I always had people that 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 thought highly of my music, and they they held me down. I was uh nominated, and I won a Nola Music Award, and all of that good stuff. And I used to, you know, get asked to do a lot of shows, book for a lot of local shows, but it was just because my name was, I guess, somewhat buzzing in the city. But I, I never, I didn't have a real, true fan base because it was more or less always that open mic type feel of an event. So there's only so many fans you're really gonna get, and so much love you're gonna get rapping in front of other artists. But uh there was this event for what was it called? It was Hip Hop for Hope. It was actually a, a for a non profit more or less. It was raising funds to help out for an organization. It was at tipitina's Were really, really big shows like uh Me D One three not T I wanna see uh Partners and Crime was on there and a bunch of brass bands. So it was a a more diverse crowd with a with a bunch of white folks on it. Hmm. And that might have been the first time actually getting in front of a, a, a diverse crowd that was not all rappers and they they was loving me, man. So I was like, man, this shit just might work and, and then I actually got the opportunity to go out of town and do shows and like seeing people literally won't buy the, the shirt off my back <laughs> and everything that I got going leaving out with, with you know, having all of the merch gone. That was a, a beautiful thing, man. So that's really when it took off for me. I was like, man, this this might work. This might work because it's you know just doing the the rapper circuit, I guess, and doing the smaller shows. You never really see that. You don't get that type of love, and you really get that type of love from from strangers more than right. people that actually knew you because you, you you become normal. We saw that before. We saw that been that done that.
0: Absolutely, no, no. You said something just then, man. Like for real, is I know, and, and you know, here, here's the thing, right? artists depending on where you're from and the perception is for most people right now Atlanta is the popping city and in one way it is right but right you gotta look at it Atlanta is only popping for artists that you know already made it (laughs) you know what I'm saying it's kind of like Atlanta is not you know people see Atlanta is popping because there are these artists that are coming from Atlanta but the truth is most of these artists if they're not already in a clique they you know, they left and, and came back, you know what I mean? And so it, it's not like these artists are, you know, the strip co- club culture is one thing like that, you know, it, that's heavy in the city and that, that died down for a second, but it, it worked its way back up. But for the most part, man, it's like, it's the same in every city you have. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just level, different levels of artists. You have your top tier, you have artists that are bubbling and then you have artists that, you know, that are doing the open mics, hoping to get a shot. And you know it it, it always kind of starts the same way you're in you're doing the open mics and then you kind of get fed up with open mics and then you kind of you know look around and get on some shows you know people add you to shows and then you start realizing like you know what I'm not getting added to enough shows so you just start doing your own shows and I think as 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 soon as artists can kind of get that in their head that like you're better off just throwing your own shows. You know what I mean? I think once you get to that point, the next level is out of town. And once you get out of town, you know, the rest is really history. But I think you really, the the, the quickest you can get to that point of throwing your own shows as opposed to, like, hitting open mics, hoping that something's going to pop, you know, I think I think you're, I really think you're better off. You know, and so just to see your progression and natural progression of what you're doing, you know, you it's just a matter of time at, at that point. You, um... You live by a mantra that I, I just—I see you always put it up. um It's like pretty much in all of your your social media, everywhere, you say on tour, like that's that's your thing. You're always on tour, no matter what. You're 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 moving around. And was it last year or earlier this year? You you had the opportunity to rock overseas. How was that experience? Oh man,
1: that, w- that was bananas So uh, I-, I try to make the story quick as possible, but uh. More or less, when I rocked out overseas, I had uh I had just dropped the album uh West Delegation, and I had this the single with Skies Do that was doing pretty good. A lot of people were picking it up. and It's uh definitely my most nationally successful single I ever dropped. But uh anyway, I had this guy from from Bangkok kept hitting me up. I was like, man, we really love your music out here. We rocking with the single, and they'd be sending me videos and stuff, and them listening to it, reciting the lyrics, and all that stuff. I was like, man, we need to get you out here. And I'm like, yeah, that's nice. But uh, that fucking plane ticket high as shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, if y'all want me out there so bad, let's make something happen. Go ahead and put something on the ticket and hook up a show and I'll be there. And like a month later, they made it happen. So I'm like, oh, shit. Now I got to actually file through this and go out to Bangkok, man. And I, uh, I do a lot of traveling regardless anyway. So it wasn't like a huge culture shock, but still at the same time it was, man. And. Bangkok is, is just crazy, man. They, they actually have a hip-hop scene out there, and the, the city's just super-duper fast-paced, and it's actually a place that I recommend anybody and everybody go visit, man. The ticket's not even super-duper pricey like you would think they y'all. And everything's just, just off the chain out there, man. There's uh, it's no huge language barrier. Like, the language barrier is always on our end. That's what I learned that we don't need the goddamn people that don't know how to speak other, language, other languages, but right. overseas, everybody <laughs> not how to speak English. We just the ones that don't know how to speak other ang- languages.
0: That's crazy, man. Like, I I had a friend of mine that tell me the same thing. It's just like, man, you'll be amazed. Like, everywhere you go now, like, maybe 20 years ago, it was different, but now everybody speaks English. I mean, I I have a cousin right now that's in China that that's going over there interning and, like, she's teaching English. You know what I mean? So it's it's like, English is spoken, uh, at this point, is is a universal language. Everyone speaks English, but the cockiness of us in America, we're like, uh, y'all got to learn our language. We don't care about learning your language type thing. You know what I mean? And so um, it, it's, it's interesting that you that you say that, being out in Bangkok and just kind of seeing uh, you didn't have any issues, just like you did a rock. I, I think that's one of the most beautiful things that can happen as an artist, man, is seeing some people that, A crowd full of people that don't look like you that know all of your music. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Absolutely. Now, uh, I know, man, we're going to get ready to wrap up, but before we do, I I really want to talk about your uh, social media antics, man. Like, you go off on some tangents (laughs) talking about sports. You talk about everything on your social media, and and I appreciate it because you, you literally have fun with your social media. So, like... I'm just going through your tweets, bro. Like this is, we're just going through tweets. <laughs> all right. So like, uh all right. Three hours ago, Darius Miller must have found the confidence overseas. That dude played so timid here the first time around. All right. So you obviously is like, you know, you're a huge basketball fan. I'm gonna assume, right? You you do you tweet a lot about you know sports and and basketball in particular you talking about rondo triple triple doubles and, and all of that like where did it what did this 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 love uh for sports come from and then you react reenacting it here on Twitter and like putting your thoughts on Twitter all the time
1: well it, it all started off i was always uh, and that's why i didn't always rap from the beginning the rap thing was something that i did afterward but uh coming up i was the guy that everybody thought was going to make it playing football, man. I was uh, a pretty good running back way back when, uh, during middle school and high school and I was supposed to have some situations with college that didn't go quite right. So, uh, I ended up taking all of my, my energy and all of my depression and all of these people telling me, man, you were supposed to make it, man. What happened to you? I thought you was going to do this and do that. I heard that way more than anything about my music, probably up until I was about 23. So I, I might have been depressed, I don't know, but I took all of my energy and I put it into music. But I always was a, a more sports-oriented person for that for that reason. Like I said, that's literally the reason I went to school. Hmm. And I'm talking as early as elementary. I'm not. I'm gonna go as far as to say that I would have dropped out or anything like that. But that's the only reason I went to school. Literally, I'd be at school an hour before anybody else to play with the kids. They got dropped off early, uh, like the earlier, uh, I forget the damn program. Down here, they call it a depth. But it's more or less the kids that parents needed daycare because they need to drop the oh, kids off early. gotcha, you, gotcha, you, gotcha. Yeah, that type of thing. And I I lived around the corner. I just walked to school just so I could play football all day. And I'd be there, and it's pitch black. I'm like three feet tall, people thinking i was eight years old. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> out there playing football. I was just addicted to it. That that's always been
0: me for the most part. For sure. So yeah, just, yeah hold on. gotcha, gotcha, man. And and yeah, um yeah. one last yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, one last thing, man. Um, the merch game, right? The merch game. And, and yeah. for artists that don't know, like, let me just give you the best advice that you'll ever get from this podcast. If you're not selling merch at your shows, you're missing out on money. It's yeah. Simple as that. It's, it's very simple. Have some type of merch available to sell at your show. At what point did you find out that it was so important for you to have merch and then uh, at what level at what point did you understand that like, okay, I got to get creative with my merch and not just have like my name on a shirt?
1: Uh, it was pretty early on. It was I just felt like that was always part of it and always had the business part down, but it was just always overwhelming, because if you're focusing on the business, you can't really focus on the music and vice versa, so it was always a, a tug of war between the two, but uh, I, I learned fairly early, that was the only way I was going to really make money, because it, it took me a while to get paid for my for my first shows, like, it, I started getting paid late in the game off of shows, so that was my, literally my only way to get paid off of shows and my only way to, to fund the tours that I was doing, so I figure as long as I can make 100, 200 dollars a night off of merch, I'm good. I wanted to find a way to brand myself without a. Uh, I wanted to find a way to brand myself without having any issues as far as just being my name. Nobody wants to wear a Levy shirt. I wanted to actually make money. I don't want to have merch for the sake of having merch. Just so me and my homeboys could wear it. I wanted something that was universal with some universal appeal. And for me, when I was coming up with my actual logo, I was thinking I need something universal. Literally, in a sense, where not not just saying it to, to sound generic, but literally, I needed to be universal where it appeals to multiple races, to multiple ages, to multiple sexes. It I didn't want to have like a go-to logo or something like that. And all I got is little white kids from the suburbs want to get it.
0: <laughs> right, right, and Older right.
1: people might not want to rock with it, or younger people might not want to rock with it Or Parents might not want to buy it because it, it seems like it has a negative stigma to it. So I just kept it as neutral as possible. And it's, it's been rolling, man. I did actually a lot of numbers with the, with the uh, apparel. And I had all kind of deals, football players, and threw all kind of money my way. And I actually just got out of a deal that didn't go good. But moral story, dude, funded like shot me a whole shitload of money <laughs> to be affiliated with it, man. But that didn't pan out. He started having health issues and stuff. So I actually just got out of that deal, man, but it's it's been moving, man. We did some serious numbers uh, to date since about 2000 and, I'll say maybe 2010 or 11. We did maybe about 30,000 shirts, and that's predominantly just in the city. Like, the the brand is pretty strong, man.
0: That's dope, man, that's dope. Well, look, bro. If anybody,
1: I definitely recommend them go ahead and get on the merch.
0: Get on the merch ASAP. You're right about that, man. But look, bro, we appreciate you calling in, man. Is there anything else, uh, final words that you want to talk to the people? Tell them right now that the floor is yours. I'm going to be quiet.
1: Man, the new album, Reparations, I'm currently working on it. It's, it's, it's bananas. I got all kinds of surprise features and it's just gonna be amazing, man. I might even have some some of my uh, favorite Atlanta folks on the album. We never know, man. I'm have to have a conversation with that We hop off the phone, man. Yeah. But reparations is coming. It's a it's a politically influenced album. It's just what it sounds like. But it's gonna be politically influenced for some that you can dance to. That's that's not too preachy. If that makes sense, it's, it's gonna sure. be dope. You're gonna like it.
0: All good, man. Well, look, man, this is Straight Out the Den podcast. I'm your host, Last Name Good. You can follow me on all things social media at Last Name Good. You can follow the podcast at Straight Out the Den. That's S T R, the number eight, O U uh, T D A D E N. A Levy, man, get a folks on social media before you get out of here.
1: Uh, it's A L E V Y, world. No E the spelling. That's just A Levy, world.
0: That's
1: <laughs> on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, probably still on my space too, man. Anywhere that you, wherever you went, I'm there too.
0: Right. So just
1: check A Levy World, and as far as the music, you can just type in A.Levy, and I should pop up on all your streaming websites, man. And hopefully y'all enjoy. Scream at me, man.
0: For sure, man. Well, look, as always, if you have a dream, pray on that dream, research that dream, and work until that dream becomes reality. I'm Last Name Good i the Straight Out the Damn Podcast. He's A Levy. We out. Peace. The Straight Out to Damn podcast is powered by the Indie Creative Network.